You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Welcome Jr. Kirk Herbstreet five. is on the phone. Six the podcast. It's the Big America. It is Friday, August 5th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for the FFE, the Fun Friday edition of the Tour Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We will open. Did you see what Nick Saban said? He said last year was a rebuild. Everybody's freaking out. He was 100% correct. It was a rebuild. I will tell you why he was right, why that is very scary for college football also, obviously, a quick follow-up on the Brittany Griner news. We got the very sad news uh, that uh, unless something happens, she is going to prison for a long time in Russia. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, another sad story, the passing of Vin Scully felt as though living in Los Angeles. I should just touch on that. And then we'll end on a much, much, much lighter note, as we always do on Friday, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. A lot of fun stuff to get to in that segment uh, so yeah, fun loaded show. We are going to cover a lot of ground. Um, before we get started, one other quick announcement. Uh, last fall, I started a college football betting podcast. Obviously, during the season, we talk about games, but uh, we have relaunched the college football betting show start of the season. We're going over under win totals. SEC East, SEC West, all that good stuff. Big Ten East, Big Ten West, on and on and on. Make sure, find that podcast, College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. It's a little bit different, but if you like college football, it's fun. Go ahead and subscribe there. Also, we have launched a YouTube channel for it, College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, you just heard what I said. Did you see what Nick Saban said earlier this week? It made national headlines. Every time Nick Saban says something, it becomes a national headline. But Nick Saban was on radio with actually friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Cole Kublik. Cole's a freaking legend. I love him. One of my favorite guests that we have on this show. Cole hosts a morning show in Alabama with Greg McElroy. Cole's an Auburn legend. Greg McElroy's an Alabama legend. And on, I guess it would have been Wednesday or Thursday of this week, they had Nick Saban on this show. Well, the, the three of them covered an awful lot of ground. They talked about a lot of different things. But Nick Saban did say one thing that made national headlines. 
What did he say, you ask? Well, Greg and Cole asked him about last year, and he said, drum roll, please. Last year was a rebuilding season, and everybody freaked out, and everybody went crazy, and they said, how can Nick Saban say it's a rebuild? But let me tell you this. He was absolutely right, and it is very scary for the rest of college football to think about that. First of all, when the, came, when the quote came out, there was the natural blowback to it, right? I heard basically three complaints about what Nick Saban said, because anytime Nick Saban says anything, there's always pushback. The first one was that I heard, uh, Alabama doesn't rebuild. And by technicality, I get that. Uh, I think people would argue that a Mississippi State might have to rebuild, that a... Uh, 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 whoever, South Carolina might have to rebuild, that Texas Tech rebuilds, Alabama does not rebuild. That was the first thing I heard. I also saw Paul Feinbaum say that Nick Saban was making excuses for last season. But the number one pushback on Nick Saban was, how can you be rebuilding when you had the success that you had? How can you re be rebuilding in a year where you won the SEC West? In a year where you actually won the SEC, you went to the SEC championship game and beat Georgia. How can you be rebuilding in a year where you go to the college football playoff, you win a college football playoff game, and you almost won the national championship? How can you be rebuilding in a season when you made the title game, and if Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt, you might not lose to Georgia? Well, let me say this. The people who say that it was not a rebuild, they're 100% wrong because we talked about it on this show like three weeks ago. I said, what are the biggest storylines coming into college football this year? And I said, one of them is Alabama on the revenge tour that we're about to see because they're going to be pissed off. But to say that, Nick, now listen, if you want to argue that it's impossible for Alabama to be in a rebuild, that's fine. But what I would say is by Alabama standards, Last year was as much of a rebuild as they have ever had under Nick Saban since he got there in 2007, and so maybe, you know, year one, year two, it's a rebuild, but last year really was about as much of a rebuild as he's had, and we talked about it on this show, but think about everything that Alabama was going through at this time last year. Think about the fact that they had lost six first-round picks off their 2020 COVID national title team. They lost Mac Jones, first-round quarterback, to the New, York, New England Patriots. They lost Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner. They lost Jalen Waddell, a wide receiver who didn't even play half the year because he was hurt. They lost Najee Harris, who's awesome. They lost Alex Leatherwood. They lost Patrick Sertan. Not great at math, but that's six first-round picks that they lost off last year's team. They also, on top of that, and I think people forget this, they lost their entire offensive coaching staff off of that title team too. Steve Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator slash play caller. He takes the Texas job, and as always happens when one coach gets a job, he brought a lot of the guys that he was working with at Alabama with him. Lost their offensive line coach, Kyle Flood. Lost uh, Jeff Banks, the special teams coordinator. You'll remember him. He's got the, the girlfriend that's a stripper with a monkey. Yes, that's a real story if you don't know what I'm talking about. But Alabama lost six first-round picks their entire offensive staff, and as I just mentioned, going into last year, they had a quarterback that we didn't know was all. We knew he'd be awesome because he plays at Alabama, but we knew that it was going to be a process 
with Bryce Young. And so by Alabama standards, that's a rebuild. You lost your entire offensive coaching staff. You lose an established quarterback, six first-round picks. And what I would say is, if you doubt that it was a rebuild, I think you can maybe forget this because of the end result. But remember, it's not always about the end result. It's about the process to get there. What did I talk about on this show all last year? And Alabama fans pushed back on me and got mad. What did I say? I said, last year, by the impossible standard that Alabama has set, that was not a vintage Bama team. And Bama fans got mad, but you know I was right. And you know I was right because just go back and look at the results. And again, it was a rebuild. Look at the results. They were not great for most of the regular season. Two-point win at Florida. Florida can't convert a two-point conversion that would have forced overtime in that game. At the time, it felt like a huge, you know, moral victory for South for for, for uh, Florida. They ended up firing their coach, so you almost you could have lost in theory at Florida to a team that ended up firing their coach. Later in the season, you play Tennessee. First year head coach Josh Heupel. I thought he did an incredible job. Don't look at the final score. That game was one possession going into the fourth quarter. That never happens in Alabama, Tennessee. It happened last year. The LSU game. Remember, Coach O had already been fired. Final score of Alabama LSU in Tuscaloosa was 20 to 14. Remember that game for this. Alabama had six yards rushing total. A week later, they play Arkansas. Arkansas, really good nine win team last year. Alabama beats them by seven. And then the Iron Bowl. I think it's easy to forget this now with everything that's happened with Brian Harson. Alabama almost lost the Iron Bowl. It took double overtime, it took a rally late for them to win that game. And so I told you all year, this wasn't a vintage Alabama team. Nick Saban just called it a rebuild, and he was right. You know how I know that Nick Saban knew that last year wasn't close to one of his best teams? There were two things that stand out now that I think back about it. One, if you remember, I think it was right around Christmas. It was either in the lead-up to the Auburn game, the Iron Bowl, or in the lead-up to the SEC championship game. He was doing his radio show, and somebody asked him something about the team, and he freaked out, basically saying, you guys are too hard on these guys. Stop putting so much pressure on them. They are doing the best that they can, and I love them for that. He really went to bat for his guys because there was the perception of what I just talked about, that this wasn't a vintage Bama team. But then on top of that, you know how I know that last year Saban was different and felt differently about his team? After Alabama lost the national championship game, he wasn't mad. And I think part of it was obviously losing to Kirby, his longtime defensive coordinator, a guy that couldn't get over the hump against him. I think in his heart of hearts, he was happy that Kirby got his shot. But I think part of it was also he kind of knew this team had overachieved. This team wasn't – he. if anyone knows what a national championship team looks like, it's Nick Saban. And I think he sat there and said the fact that we were even here is incredible. So to me, it was a rebuilding year. To me, it's a testament to Nick Saban and how great he is. And most importantly, it speaks to that quote specifically. Because if we know one thing about Nick Saban, it is that everything that he says, there is a hidden meaning behind it. He always has a message. He always has an agenda whenever he gets on that podium, whenever he does an interview. And what I think that message that he delivered through the show hosted by Greg McElroy and my good friend Cole Kublik, that message was pretty simply this. College football, you have been warned. 
last year was the year you better have gotten us because it's going to be a long year for you this year. And I'll just be honest, I think I've said it on this show before, I don't even just think Alabama's the number one team going into the country, going into the season. I think they are significantly better than everybody else. I've said this. I think it's Alabama one, then there's a big gap, then Ohio State two, and then everybody else below them. You could put Georgia at number three. You could put, I, I actually like Oklahoma a lot. We'll talk about Oklahoma and Aaron right, Aaron wrong. Uh, Clemson, I think as long as they get the quarterback play, they'll bounce back. Maybe you like Utah. Maybe you like uh, whoever, uh, Baylor, somebody like that. But I think Alabama's a clear-cut number one team in the country. And I think Nick Saban was saying, oh, last year was the year you should have gotten us because I actually really like my team this year, as he should. I think everybody's already made the note, but they have the best player offensively in college football in Bryce Young reigning Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young, 47 touchdowns as a redshirt freshman Bryce Young. They have the best defensive player in college football, Will Anderson. Now, I hate to spoil everything. He's my pick to win the Heisman this year. I think a defensive player, Will Anderson, will win the Heisman. Um, They crushed in the portal. They added two difference-making wide receivers, Tyler Harrell from Louisville, Jermaine Burton from Georgia. Jermaine Burton projected by Mel Kuyper to be a first-round pick. They added Jameer Gibbs, a running back from Georgia, was one of the best offensive players in the ACC. They added Eli Ricks, a cornerback from LSU that is projected to be a first-round pick by Mel Kuyper. And so really, yes, the O-line was bad last year. That's the only place that you can really point to with Bama and say, I'm not really sure about that. But they got a new offensive line coach from Kentucky. Nick Saban has raved about them. And I'm telling you, I think it is scary hours, to quote Drake, for this Alabama team. To take it a step further, the schedule actually breaks very nicely for them. Uh, I don't want to say it breaks nicely, but I I think it could be worse because they do have to play at Arkansas, and I think Arkansas is going to be solid this year. They have to play at Tennessee. I think Tennessee is going to be really good. Um, They have to play at LSU, but if there's a year to play at LSU, this is it. They're rebuilding. Um, They have to play at Texas. I think Texas is on its way. I don't think Texas is there yet. And so you look at the schedule, uh, no Georgia from the East. Texas A&M, I think probably talent-wise, is the closest thing to what Alabama has. That game is at home. Auburn, yes, under the embattled Brian Harson, but Auburn is always a tough game. That is at home. And so I think what Nick Saban said, what you heard, what you heard was we were rebuilding last year. What I heard was I hope you got us last year. Because I didn't really like the team I had last year. I really like the team I have this year. So I don't want to get it. We don't really need to discuss anymore. But I thought that story was fascinating. Because the one thing we know about Nick Saban. Nick Saban says not only what's on his mind. But Nick Saban is always delivering messages through the media. Well, this message was pretty loud and clear. College football, you have been warned. College football, you should be concerned. I have the best offensive player in college football. I have the best defensive player in college football. I plugged holes through the portal, and I got a schedule that I like. Yeah, I got to go to Texas, but Texas is still a year or two away. I got to go to LSU, but LSU's in a rebuild. I got to go to Tennessee, but they ain't there yet. I get Texas A&M at home. Oh, by the way, coming off a loss, you know that's going to be revenge. I get Auburn at home. To quote, you know, John Calipari uses this quote all the time. I like my team. Well, Nick Saban. I really do believe likes his team.
And as I said, that is scary for the rest of college football. Good opening segment. Nick Saban giving us content here in early August. Shout out to Nick Saban. All right, that's what I want to do. Do want to take a quick break. Do want to come back. And we will get kind of serious here. Talk a little Brittany Griner. And I do want to very, very quickly talk Vince Scully. Um, You know, he passed shortly after I recorded my my last episode. Uh, And so I just want to kind of give him his commemoration as he deserves. Take a quick break. Get a little serious. Be right back. We'll play where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. After that, I will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, Do want to kind of switch gears here and frankly do something I, I hate to do on this show, but I've done it a few times over the last couple weeks. And that's get serious here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I said it the other day with Deshaun Watson, and I certainly said it a few weeks ago with Brittany Griner. Uh, I, I wish that all I could do on this show is just have fun and goof off and talk sports because we all got into sports because we love sports. But there are serious sides of sports that need to be discussed. And a few weeks ago, I talked Brittany Griner, and it feels as though today is the appropriate day to follow up. We're not going to talk long here because I don't really know what else there is to say. But by now, I think we all know the news, right? Brittany Griner, as I discussed a few weeks ago, uh, you know, iconic women's basketball player, maybe the best women's basketball player on the planet as we speak, uh, got arrested at a Russian airport. She had some vape cartridges with some residue of some drugs. Um, She got arrested. She's been in prison since February. Nobody's really spoken out about it or even acknowledged it until about the last month or so. And of course, on Thursday, we found out what her punishment will be, and that is that Brittany Griner will spend the next nine years in a Russian prison unless something happens, unless something changes, and unless, frankly, our U.S. government can get her out. Um, and so this isn't going to be a super political thing, whatever, but what I would say is uh, when I look at Brittany's, Brittany Griner's situation, a couple things stand out. The first one that stands out is something that I very often say on this show. 
in life, two things can be true. Two things that seem completely contradictory to each other can be absolutely 100% true. And I think that's the case with Brittany Griner. On the one hand, what Brittany Griner did was really, really, really exceptionally dumb. And I think we all understand that. And I think that's why a lot of people didn't really speak out about this early on was because how do you defend somebody? I don't care how small the, 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 you know, the, the possession is, how, how small the, the amount that she had when she entered Russia. It was really stupid to travel with anything, with any type of drug residue, especially into a foreign country, especially into a communist country, especially during a time of war. I think we all understand it was stupid. I think Brittany Griner understands it was stupid. She's talked multiple times in court, not only about um, apologizing for her behavior, but understanding the severity of it. So there is that element of it. But I think there's the other element of it too, which is that this is just really, really, really sad. Yes, she was really dumb. Yes, she shouldn't have done this. But it doesn't change the fact that a 31-year-old American woman 99% of the downloads of this show come from the United States. And so we're talking about 99% of you, one of us, a woman from the United States of America with an incredible God-given gift to play basketball. I know she's more than a basketball player, and I know this is her life, but could spend the next nine years in prison. I think two things are true. She was really dumb, and this is still really, really, really sad. Now, going ahead and going forward and just my general thoughts What I would say is this really comes back to what I talked about a few weeks ago and the segment that so many of you loved and reached out to me privately. On a day like today, I can't help but think one thing. Where are all of the athletes that every athlete, that seemingly every athlete, not every athlete, but seemingly every athlete wants to have political opinions on everything. They want to talk about... uh, um, police brutality and they want to talk about this and they want to talk about that and what do we always hear we're about more than being an athlete don't tell us to shut up and dribble which by the way I totally agree you're allowed as a professional athlete to have interests outside of the sport that you play but I am so frustrated and so disappointed all these athletes I'm more than an athlete Uh, I care about world issues I want to be on the right side of history. Well, you know what the right side of history right now is? It is to step up and continue to be vocal and continue to fight for Brittany Griner. And I was so disappointed and so sad in how few prominent athletes said much of anything on Thursday. Now, to their credit, there's a lot of female women's basketball players. I, I, you know, I saw uh, Dawn Staley, by the way. Credit to Dawn Staley. She has been as outspoken about this as anybody. But all of these athletes that all want this platform and all want to be about more than being a basketball player or a football player or a baseball player, where are you as one of your comrades, one of your people, one of, one, one of us is sitting in a Russian prison? Why is Aaron Torres, a guy that's nobody, saying more than LeBron James and all these other athletes that want to be political activists? And to be clear, I understand that this situation is very complicated. We talked about this the last time that I talked about it. I understand that it's very complicated. I understand that there's a weird back and forth going on between the U.S. government and the Russian government. And I hate to be crass, but it's almost like a weird trade deadline 
whatever. I understand that there is a Russian arms dealer named Victor Bout that has essentially been offered in exchange for Brittany Griner and that Russia said no, that Russia said they want more. I get that it is complicated geopolitically, but the way to get this done is not to be quiet, is not to sit on your hands, is to not not say anything. It's to do the opposite. If you're LeBron James, if you're one of these athletes that wants to be in the political space, now more than ever, we need your voice. We need your voice not because LeBron James sending a tweet is going to change the outcome of what it will do though is continue to put pressure on the government to get something done and so when I look at this situation that is all I can think of if you're a professional athlete if you're not a professional athlete I will use my personal platform because I think this is so important we have a young woman from the United States one of us sitting in a Russian prison and outside of Dawn Staley and a few women's basketball players and by the way credit to them I don't want to discredit what they're doing. I just want more people to get involved. And I've heard these athletes for years. They want to say something. They want to make a difference. It's bigger than basketball. I want to be on the right side of history. Well, you know what the right side of history is? Fighting for Brittany Griner until she gets home. And I hope it continues to happen. And I hope it wasn't just one tweet or one social media post today on Thursday. I hope that athletes not only speak up, But speak out, not just today, not just tomorrow, not just this weekend, but until Brittany Griner comes home because it is going to take a lot. Lastly, one thing I would say, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention it, I never, ever want to hear an athlete ever again complain about the United States. The United States is not perfect. No country is, no town is, no city is, no village is, no continent is. But I think we're seeing right now the difference between a country with a what I would deem to be, and everybody's allowed to disagree, a fair criminal justice system, a balanced criminal justice system, and what a communist country with no rights looks like. And so I'm so embarrassed for these professional athletes that want to fight for something, that want to do this, that want to do that, and then most importantly, that talk about how bad America is. You think Brittany Griner doesn't want to be back in America right now? This awful country that I've been told is so terrible by all these professional athletes? I hope this opens people's eyes to what it is like outside this country and why this is still the greatest country in the world, will always be, um, and certainly the criminal justice system is, uh, you know, it's a lot different than a lot of other places. Um, and yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of ironic, and I'm not even going to go there. But, but unfortunate for Brittany Griner, I hope all these athletes continue to speak out. One last time, credit to Dawn Staley. She is the one out of everybody that I have seen being the most vocal about it. I give her a ton of credit. Really quickly, another sad story. I'm just going to get to this quickly. It, it happened shortly after I recorded Wednesday's Aaron Torres pod. But uh, it is the passing of Vin Scully. Vince Scully, the iconic voice of the Dodgers, the iconic voice of Major League Baseball, and the iconic voice of sports. You know, he passed away at 94 on Tuesday night, and a couple things kind of struck me. One, can can it be sad to lose someone at 94? 
the guy clearly lived a fulfilled life, uh, a life that I, I would venture to guess. I never had a chance to sit down with him one-on-one, but a, a, a purposeful life, a life where he, he woke up every day excited to go to the ballpark. That's one. Can, can you be sad when a guy passes away at 94 or a young lady passes away at 94? Um, because it's just crazy to think about. But two, I would also say this. As I saw the commemorance, as I saw all the iconic moments that he was there for, um, I couldn't help but think one thing. In sports, we always say, oh, we'll never see anybody like that guy again. And, oh, it's whatever. And we talk about Steph Curry and Patrick Mahomes. and You know, we may see a 6'3 shooting guard that can hit 38-foot threes. We're going to see some version of Steph Curry again. We're going to see some version of Patrick Mahomes again. We're going to see some version of Allen Iverson again. What I can definitively tell you, not only was Vince Scully when he was living one of one, but we will never see anybody like him again. Uh, First thing that stands out, 67 years on one job. 67 years on one job. That is just such an inconceivable number to me, okay? So I'm in my mid-30s. My dad turned 70 this September. Love you, dad. Dad, I, he doesn't really listen to the Air Torres podcast, but that's okay. He's not a sports guy. Got the sports uh, gene from my mom, who does listen to this show periodically. But my dad's about to turn 70. Vince Scully worked for the Dodgers for 67 years. He started with the Dodgers. He was born in 1927. He started with the Dodgers in 1950. Not great at math. Got a job with the Dodgers at 23 years old and kept it until he was 88 years old. We're never going to see anything like that again. Vince Scully was with the Dodgers for so long. His career started when Jackie Robinson was on the Brooklyn Dodgers. Vince Scully's career started when the Dodgers were in Brooklyn. Keep in mind, by the way, Jackie Robinson, an icon, he passed away 50 years ago. Vince Scully not only called his games, Vince Scully was calling Dodgers games until six years ago. And so when you look at the totality of what he did, When you look at the number of iconic moments he was in the booth for, I think everybody saw, but Kirk Gibson, uh, he was on the call for the Hank Aaron record-setting home run. He was on the call for uh, Mookie uh, Mookie Wilson, the the ball through Buckner's legs. He was on the call for some football stuff, uh, including uh, the catch with Dwight Clark. He was just a, uh, you know, a, a, a... just an iconic voice that was there for so many big moments, a literal history, uh, you know, a literal sports encyclopedia and a sports history lesson, the likes of which we'll never see again. You know, really quickly, a couple other things, and I think other people have said this more eloquently than I have, but I mean, he just had such a unique tone and reverence and voice. I listening to some of his, uh, you know, stuff over the last couple weeks, last couple days, excuse me, as he's passed, you know, hearing him tell stories and weave stories in. And I think we all saw the story. I think it was Johnny Gomes attacked by a wolf when he was a child 
and Vince Scully seamlessly uh, worked the story into uh, into one of his broadcasts. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can search on Twitter, uh, you know, Vince Scully Wolf, and it'll come up pretty quickly. But how eloquent he was, how the storyteller that he was, um, the way that he had a, a, a feel for moments. Um, you know, the Kirk Gibson home run, I went back and watched it. He says something like, in the season of the improbable, the impossible has happened. Um, and so what I can say is this, is that, um, you know, I, I moved to Los Angeles in 2012, so about a decade ago, and I cannot tell you how much this guy meant, not only to sports, but to the city of Los Angeles as well. And that's another thing that really jumped out to me uh, in his passing, is that, you know, we all love football, we all love basketball, but baseball is a little bit different. Because baseball, there are 162 games a year. Literally half of the nights of the year, there there is a baseball game. Almost of the 365 days, we're almost talking half of those uh, nights, there is a game on air. And so when people say that Vince Scully raised them, that isn't hyperbole. I mean, think about the number of people, um, you know, that 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 not only grew up with him, but every night in the car on the way home from school or every night at work, the number of people that worked overnights that every single night they could count on Vince Scully on the radio. Um, you know, the number of people that, that spent time around their TV or radio with mom and dad watching the Dodgers every single night, 162 games for 67 years. There's never going to be anything like it. You know, if I can share a quick, quick, quick story, my Vince Scully memory and I think everybody in Los Angeles at the very least has one. I think most people that, that follow sports probably have one. But like I said, I moved to Los Angeles about 10 years ago. And I don't know how many of you guys and girls have moved somewhere, somewhere that you're unfamiliar with. But I think it's most of you, right? Most people at some point leave, whether you go to college, whether you take a job, whether you're, you, you get married and move, whatever. And it takes a while. When you go somewhere you've never been before, it takes a while um, to, to get comfortable and get with your surroundings and all that stuff. And so I moved to Los Angeles in July of 2020. And I remember, um, you know, I really remember just, I, I, I never had like a, I was never like homesick or anything, but you're not used to where you are. And I remember it was probably April or May of the following year, probably July of, or April of 2012, uh, April of 2013, May of 2013. And I was driving around, and I was listening to the Dodgers, and Vince Scully was still on their broadcast. Um, and it kind of struck me. It was the first time I just vividly remember being like, wow, this feels like home. I was driving. I didn't need, for the first time, I didn't need my uh, GPS or my maps on my phone to figure out where I was going. I knew where I was going. I didn't have to think twice about it. I uh, was going to meet up with friends, had the Dodgers game on the radio, listening to Vin Scully, and that was the moment that I was like, okay, this is no longer a place that I'm just living. It's no longer a place that I have moved to. It is now home. Uh, and so that will always be my Vin Scully special story. Um, and again, to, to, to kind of recap, well, 67 years on one job, just unbelievable the voice of multiple generations, you know, listening on Sports Talk Radio over the last couple days, people talk about his passing meaning stuff to them because their father died, you know, not last year or the year before. Their father died 40 years ago or 50 years ago. 
but that they grew up with Vin and that they did this and that, you know, the last thing they did together was listen to a Dodgers game on radio or whatever. Just cannot speak to what he means to the city of Los Angeles, what he means to the sport of baseball, and what he means to broadcasting in general. So rest in peace, Vin Scully. Uh, 94 years old, a fulfilling 94 years. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to wrap on a much more fun, less serious note than that. We'll play where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We'll make fun of AT a little bit. I deserve it. Uh, And we'll have some fun. We'll get out of here on a Friday. Great show, great segment. Uh, It's all coming up. I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do... How about our partners, DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook? Incredible offer for those of you who love Major League Baseball. Bet $5 on any team, any game. You're a fan of Cincinnati. You're a fan of Houston. You're a fan of Chicago, Boston, New York, whoever. Bet $5 on any team. And whether they win or lose, you get $100 in free bets Courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. That's right, $5 on any team, $100 in free bets, whether they win or lose. Unbelievable offer. Here is how you can take advantage. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 money line bet on any team. And whether your team wins, whether your team loses, you get $100 in free bets, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best deal going in sports betting. So go ahead and act now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21-plus or over to enter, 18-plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Incredible offer. I just told it to you. But bet $5 on any baseball game, any MLB game, 
And win or lose, you get $100 in free bets courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. Incredible offer. Take advantage. Click the link in the show description to take advantage of that. So thank you to DraftKings. Unbelievable deal. Click the link in the show description and take advantage. With that said, I do want to wrap. This was quickly become America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And the concept of the segment is pretty straightforward. I say it every week. Stole it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. I know Colin a little bit. He's always been great to me. And every week on his show, he does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I decided to bring it to this show. The reason, one, it's a pretty fun segment. But two, I put out a lot of opinions on sports over the course of any given week, month, year. Social media, radio, podcast, whatever. And when I get something right, Nobody loves to pat themselves on the back any more than your boy Torres does. Just one problem. Like everybody else, I get a lot of stuff wrong too. And so where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, it's a fun way to end every week on Friday, a fun way to kind of acknowledge some of the stuff that I got right, but also a way to slap myself on the wrist and say better, be better when it comes to stuff I got wrong. Let's get into it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right. And this is one... I, I, I genuinely mean this. I wish I was not right on. But about three or four weeks ago, we had a New York Times report out on Deshaun Watson. This was after we already knew about 24 accusers uh, of everything that we know that Deshaun Watson was accused of. A New York Times report came out and said, there's a 25th accuser, and oh, by the way, we thought there were like 30-something masseuses over a short period of time. The number was actually 66. And so what I said at the time was this. I believe in the criminal justice system. I believe in innocent until proven guilty. But something weird did happen, and it might not have been criminal in nature, but this is not normal behavior for a professional athlete. It's not normal for an athlete whose entire livelihood is based on the health of his body to have 66 different people working on it. It is not normal to have 25 accusers if you have done absolutely nothing wrong. And so I said that at the time, And on Wednesday, we talked about the report that came out of the NFL. Deshaun Watson suspended six games. The NFL is already appealing it. But as I told you on Wednesday, if you read the report from Sue Robinson, and I encourage you still to do so, if you have not already, your skin kind of crawls thinking about the fact that Deshaun Watson will probably play in the NFL this year. Listen, this is not my opinion. This, is, this, is, this was determined by talking to four of the masseuses, a report by an independent investigator hired by the NFL with a history, you know, a career in law and criminal proceedings and all that stuff. As I told you on Wednesday, she basically concluded that Deshaun Watson was not just going to these masseuses for therapy, that there was a sexual nature behind what he was uh, soliciting and inquiring, and that beyond that, she believed that he was that he knew that he was making the masseuses uncomfortable and really did not show any contrition. Listen, I understand the criminal justice system. I understand innocent until proven guilty. And if Harris County in Texas refuses to press charges, I understand that we can't lock him up and throw away the key. But the NFL is a private entity. The NFL obviously is looking for a longer suspension. But I will tell you this. Go back and look at the report. You don't have to be... Um, the, the biggest anti-Cleveland Browns fan, or the just read the report, you'll see it, you'll read it, see it with your own two eyes, what the NFL's investigator said. It makes your skin crawl, it makes you uncomfortable. I hate to say it, but this was something that we talked about about three weeks ago. Where Aaron was wrong, 
So also on Wednesday's show, on a much, much, much lighter topic, uh, I kind of threw rose petals at the feet of Mark Few and John Calipari for putting together this home-and-home between Kentucky and Gonzaga. Well, as it turns out, we find out on Thursday that it's not really a home-and-home because the game in Spokane this coming year will not be at the kennel where Gonzaga's on-campus arena is, but instead... It will be at the Spokane, you know, Civic Center or whatever, downtown, off campus to get more people in the arena. And so where I'm wrong is, shame on John Calipari. And oh, Torres, you never say anything mean about Calipari. Well, I am disappointed in John Calipari for making the decision that he did. And do not tell me that it was up to Mark Few, too, that they agreed to these terms. Yeah, they agreed to these terms because it was the only way that Kentucky was going to come to Spokane. I understand that Kentucky historically has never played in a venue as small as the Kennel, Gonzaga's on-campus arena that holds 6,000 people, and that was John Calipari's excuse on Thursday saying, we're Kentucky, we don't play in arenas that small. Well, guess what? About three years ago, North Carolina played in Spokane at the Kennel. Arizona previously played at the Kennel. Uh, Texas last year played at the Kennel. If the kennel is good enough for UNC, if the kennel is good enough for Arizona, do not tell me that Kentucky is too big time to play in that arena. I'm a kind of a, ashamed is the wrong word, but disappointed in John Calipari. The reason you go on the road, you, you do it for two reasons. One, because it's good for college basketball. Two, because it's going to challenge your team. Now, it will still be a challenge, and it's still going to be great for college basketball, and we will all watch it. But I think we can all agree this game would be better in the kennel. This game would be better in front of 6,000 ravenous fans. Gonzaga is coming to Rupp Arena next year, John Calipari. Disappointed that these two sides that, that, that uh, you know, listen, I'll just say this. I don't think that if, Mar- if John Calipari was adamant that they play at the kennel, that Mark Few would have opposed. Disappointed in John Calipari. Disappointed that we will not ga- get this game in the kennel. It'll still be awesome, but I am a little bummed. Where Aaron was right. So we talked about it to lead the show, but really for about the last month, we've kind of ramped up the college football coverage on this show. And I said, remember about three weeks ago, I said some of the most interesting storylines in college football are this, 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 and this. And the Alabama Revenge Tour was amongst the top, okay? I said it about three or four weeks ago. I said, when you factor in all the crazy circumstances for Alabama going into last year and what happened during the season, They lose six first-round draft picks. They lose their entire offensive staff. All the stuff that we talked about to lead the show. The fact that Jamison Williams gets hurt in the national championship game. The fact that if they lost to Georgia, they wouldn't even have made the playoff. I said they did make the playoff, and they were really probably a healthy Jamison Williams away from winning the national championship, and that was in a down year for Alabama. Well, apparently Nick Saban agrees with me because, as we said, he called last year a rebuilding year. Listen, I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm not saying the college football season is over. I'm not saying don't watch it. What I am saying, though, is what I've told you a few times on this show already. Alabama with a chip on its shoulder and everybody of substance essentially coming back, that is a scary, scary, scary thing, and I'll take it a step further. I think Alabama is the clear-cut number one. I think Ohio State is the clear-cut number two, and then I think there's a gap between number two and number three. Three is probably Georgia or Oklahoma or Clemson or whomever. 
but I think it's Alabama clearly at the top of the sport, and I'm not saying don't watch the season, but what I am saying is you look at that schedule. I know they play Texas on the road, Arkansas on the road, Tennessee on the road, all that good stuff. I think it's tough to find any losses on this team's schedule. The revenge tour is real. I told you that this was last year was a rebuilding year. Well, guess what? They almost won a title in a rebuilding year. That is how great Nick Saban is and how scared the rest of college football should be going into this year. Where Aaron was wrong. So I talked about this on Monday's show. Um, but, you know, I'm starting to really change my opinion on the future of the Pac-12. I think once the USC-UCLA news happened, my stance was it was going to be impossible to keep the league together because everybody had different interests. Oregon and Washington's interests are different than Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, which are different than the Bay Area schools, which are different than Oregon State and Washington State, which are just holding on for dear life. Well, as I explained on Monday, I am starting to feel a little bit different. First of all, it's simple common sense. If the Big 12 was such a great alternative for the the Pac-12 schools that wanted to go there, this thing would be done. I think what everybody's realizing is it's not a better situation in the Big 12. Um, You're not going to get significantly more money. And that the Pac-12, as I said on Monday, does offer some unique things that I think that even I hadn't previously considered. Fox is now going to have the Big Ten, which means that they are now going to have a night window with USC and UCLA in the late night. How does ESPN counter that? Does uh, whatever, does NBC, CBS get involved having those late night Pac-12 games? And then, as I said, I think the Pac-12 is the first, if you want to call them a major conference in college football, college sports I think they're the first major conference to end up on a streaming service. If you had to fall apart as a conference, now is a good time with Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, all these uh, streaming services wanting to get into live sports. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's definitive. But I feel better about those 10 Pac-12 schools staying together more than I have in since really UCLA and USC left. Where Aaron was right. So again... Something we talked about this week. But did you see where Malachi Nelson, the number two rated quarterback, high school senior going into this year, has been committed to Lincoln Riley forever. Committed to him when Lincoln Riley was at Oklahoma. Committed to him when Lincoln Riley went to USC. Oh, by the way, last weekend, where was he? He went down to Texas A&M for a recruiting visit. Now listen, two things. One, I'm not a recruiting guru. I'm not claiming to have any inside information. And if I had to bet, I still do think that he ends up at USC playing for Lincoln Riley. But what I told you about three weeks ago, I said USC, everybody's trying to make them out to be this crazy NIL juggernaut, uh, and Jordan Addison got this much, and Caleb Williams got that much. They are behind on NIL. They just got their collective off the ground this month, and their collective is not the throw money in the pot slush fund that other schools have. It is a collective where, hey, I call up the USC collective and I say, help me find opportunities, and they are behind. So I am not surprised that this move happened. I told you that USC is behind the eight ball on NIL, and it's not to say that this kid's going to decommit. It's not to say that, that, uh, that USC won't ultimately catch up. But at the same time, remember, a lot of money at stake now for these high, you know, there was always money at stake. We get that. But there is big-time, above-the-board money opportunities for these kids. And if you're a big-time quarterback, even as a high school recruit, we know you're worth millions of dollars. I would not be surprised if Malachi Nelson continued to just kind of see what was out there. 
because there sure is a lot of money to be made. Where Aaron was wrong. So when Brent Venables was hired as the Oklahoma head coach, I don't know that I was really like opposed to it, like this is a terrible hire because Oklahoma was put in an impossible situation, right? USC has a, probably three months. LSU has two months to vet candidates, figure out who they want. Oklahoma figures out in like 10 minutes, Lincoln Riley is leaving, and they're essentially doing their first coaching search of this century, of this century. Lincoln Riley took it over from Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops came in 99. And so it wasn't that I didn't like the Brent Venables hire because I thought it was an impossible situation. But what I was worried about was Oklahoma's headed to the SEC soon. And I said, are they going to have the bodies? Are they going to have the physicality? Are they going to have the line play to enter that league and win at the highest level? They scored a lot of points. They had a fun offense under Lincoln Riley. But we know to win in the SEC, you got to have the big boys up front. Well, Brent Venables has not coached a game yet. And Brent Venables, I don't know if he'll be good or not. But the one thing I was wrong on, this guy is recruiting a team that should be able to compete in the SEC when they get there. Oklahoma now up to the number six ranked recruiting class in the country. First of all, they have a five-star quarterback committed. Yeah, you need that guy when you're playing Alabama, uh, Georgia, Florida, etc. But since that, since they got that commitment, they're also cleaning up on the lines, linebackers, the places that you need to win in the in the SEC. As I said, they are now up to the number six recruiting class in the country. And to the credit of Brent Venables, they have ten different commitments since the since June thirtieth of this year. So essentially, over the last probably five weeks. Eight of them are four-star or, or higher, and unfortunately, unlikely, well, not unfortunately, fortunately for them, you know, unlike some of the uh, Lincoln-Riley classes that were heavy on skill position talent, uh, number th- two-ranked player in their class is an edge rusher, number four-ranked player in the class is an offensive tackle, number five-ranked player in the class, Derek LeBlanc, was the kid who committed last week, a highly coveted defensive lineman. I don't know if Brent Venables is going to work as the Oklahoma head coach, but he is recruiting a team right now that can compete in the SEC. I worried about Brent Venables. I worried about Oklahoma heading to the SEC. They look so good so far. Where Aaron was right, let's stay with college football. Let's stay with recruiting. And about five weeks ago, if you remember, uh, there was a big to-do in high school football recruiting when a high four-star, basically fringe five-star quarterback named Jaden Rashada committed to Miami. In the lead-up to his commitment, It seemed as though he was a lock for Florida. Everybody's ready for him to be a Gator. In the final 24 hours, Miami swoops in and steals him. And at that time, Florida fans were apoplectic. Billy Napier, our new head coach, he's not ready. He can't recruit in the SEC. He can't close the deal. He's not ready for the primetime. And what I said was this. I can't guarantee anything, but you gotta give the guy time. He was the first, I said it, he's the first coach ever that has lost a portion of his fan base before he ever coached a game. Well, credit to Billy Napier, because Billy Napier, much like Brent Venables, cleaned up in recruiting over the last month. In total, Billy Napier has signed six different players, ranked among the top 200, not not signed, but they got commitments from, six players in the top 200 of the high school recruiting rankings, all four-star or higher, All of them have committed since July 1st of this year. Listen, I said to Florida fans, I can't promise anything, 
But when you hire a guy like Billy Napier, who's known for being meticulous, who's known for building an organization, who's known for structure, who's known for culture, it's going to take time to get it right. Well, can't promise anything, but Florida is now up to the number 12 class in the country. Yes, they need to continue to do work. Yes, the number 12 class is not going to beat Alabama or Georgia, but he is already recruiting at a level that literally a month ago, I'm not sure Florida fans thought he could recruit at. Woo! What an episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I'll tell you this, great, great, great show uh, and fun show. We're really ramping up. I mean, football, you know, I, like I said, it to lead the show. Football's here, baby. I just watched some preseason football before I started recording, so it is great to have football back, uh, and we'll really ramp up. And I'm really excited because we do have a bunch of really cool announcements in the lead-up to college football season, in the lead-up to the NFL season. Stay tuned for all that. Make sure you're following all the Aaron Torres platforms. Uh, But yeah, really exciting times for me, and I think really exciting times for pretty much anybody in sports because it is a great, great, great time. Uh, just, Just a great time of year. Great time of year. NFL literally kicked off on Thursday night. College football is not far behind, and we got a lot of good stuff, not only for me, but for Aaron Torres Media, for some of, some new, maybe some new podcasts that might be coming, stay tuned. With that said, it's time for me to get out of here. Before we do, I want to remind you, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Uh, Let us know what you like, all that good stuff. Uh, Also, by the way, go ahead, leave a rating and review. Leave a nice note uh, in those rating and reviews. It does help us move up the charts. Make sure you're following on social media, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. And I should mention, I think I mentioned this earlier, but the college football betting show that I do, College Football Betting with Aaron Torres, it is now available. We are doing preseason content over there. It's much more of a uh, betting-themed show. But make sure to find that feed, subscribe, support that show. Also, we started the YouTube channel, too. Go ahead and sign up for that YouTube channel. I would really appreciate it. You'd be doing me a solid. With that said, it is time for me to get out of here. want to thank you guys and girls for listening. And that's all I really got for today's show. So with that said, a couple things. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. I'll be back on Monday. New episode, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.